You are listening to Studying Pixels, a podcast on game studies and video game culture. I'm Stefan Heinrich Simont. I'm a game studies scholar from Germany. And you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. When I think about trauma in video games, which is the subject of today's episode, then I like to think of the game Max Payne or the entire series, really, because those games are entirely about a New York City cop who is guilt-ridden, entirely traumatized because of the loss of his family. And it's quite obvious that a series such as Max Payne is about trauma. I mean, it is, after all, called Max Payne, right? However, there are many games that are also about trauma or that feature trauma that are not so immediately obvious. If you just think about the plethora of RPGs and JRPGs that you've played, you know this standard trope where at the beginning of the game, the protagonist's village is burned down or where the princess is taken from the protagonist, right? This classic trope where you have to avenge someone, where you have to right some wrongs of the past. Often, games that work in that way, they include some form of trauma that the protagonist then needs to work through throughout the process of their journey. Now, the trauma is a bit more complicated than that, actually. This is a very simplistic example. And because the subject is so intricate and complex, we have invited an expert on the show today. His name is Dr. Thomas Spies, and he's a media studies scholar at the University of Cologne. But before we get to that, let me briefly remind you that if you like this show and you want to help us make it happen, then you can support us by joining Studying Pixels Plus. There you can get all of our episodes entirely ad-free. You'll get a lovely sticker that has our little mascot Pixel Coon on it and monthly plus episodes, some of which are deep dives into video game culture and others can actually help you study. If you're curious about that, then feel free to head to studyingpixels.com plus to find out more. 
published his PhD dissertation titled Trauma in Video Games, Media Representations of Mental Extreme Experiences. This is my translation of the title because the book is actually in German, but luckily he is here now to tell us all about it. Hi, Thomas. Hi, Stefan. First of all, I want to congratulate you on your doctorate degree because I'm currently working on mine as well and I know how tough it is. So my sincere congratulations for accomplishing that. Thank you so much. Now, you wrote about trauma in video games and it's a tough subject engaging with trauma. It's a tough subject to engage with for several years writing such an elaborate PhD thesis on it. Why did you choose to engage with trauma as a topic? As you may know that the subject of your thesis is always changing a little bit, especially in the early years. So I started to, to look at um, mental health um, representation it's in games. And I, I recognized, okay, the interesting part is always, for me, the representation of the mind of a person is really described in detail. So not only in effect like you are drinking a bottle of wine in Skyrim and the the um, screen is shaking or something like that. But um, especially when video games try to show you how a person is thinking or uh, how um, the thinking of a person um, affects her way of seeing the world. Was there a video game that you played where you thought, wow, that's really interesting? Yes, I think the first game that stuck with me was maybe... Um, it's a very little production. It's from written from one person. Um, it is um, called Distraint. There are two uh, parts of it now, Distraint 1 and Part 2. And this is a, a super small game. It's, you can play it in four or five hours, I think. And um, you play as um, this guy. He lost kind of his memory this is a, a trope we can talk later about um but he has he wakes up in a nightmarish environment and so he f tries to find out, out what happened to him and uh, you explore with him that he was uh, yeah he had to to evict people from their homes and uh, this stuck with him and so the topic of guilt was especially interesting for me and guilt is a feeling you can have also as a traumatized person, um, especially if you are a perpetrator. There are representations of perpetrators in games, um, and this is one of them. And uh, this is where it got interesting for me. Usually when I think of trauma in video games, I think of the victims of uh, transgressions, of crimes, of terrible things. I think of, you know, the classic idea of a, a role-playing game where your village at the beginning is burnt down or where your family is abducted by the evil kind of person. That's kind of where trauma is something that I find is almost omnipresent in video games. It is, but also as a perpetrator, another example would be Papers, Please by Lucas Pope, where we as border guards have to check the papers of people who want to travel out or into a fictional totalitarian state. Um, so we have strict requirements based on races, sexes, and classes assumptions while having to manage a certain number of checks a day. Um, at home, the starving family is waiting, unable to survive without the wages. So unless we stop the game, we are inevitably faced with choices that result in suffering of others. 
Um, we become, according to Hannah Arendt, you could say a Schreibtischmörder, a desk murderer. Um, each passport that we do not stamp can mean death for a person in front of our booth, but every stamp given out of compassion can mean death for us and our family. And uh, thus we inevitably make ourselves guilty. Now, I hadn't thought of that angle, actually, of th thinking of the perpetrator and the perpetrator's trauma. Um, so this is something that's encompassed within the wide term of trauma. It doesn't matter whether you are the victim of something terrible or whether you've caused something terrible. You surely can experience trauma, right? True. But of course, this is a very uh, sensible topic. You have to, to really think about how to repre represent um, a trauma of a perpetrator. That's uh, the topic of empathy. If you feel empathy for the perpetrator, what does that say and what does that make with you as a player? Yeah, because normally we want to empathize with the victim, right? That's always the kind of, I think, intuitive pull that at least I have and many people have immediately as well. Yeah, 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 true. And so if we, we are suddenly in the situation where we are playing the perpetrator, like maybe... Many people know the, the ending of Last of Us Part One, where you have, as Cheryl, shoot all the doctors in, in the operation room uh, to save Ellie. You can't uh, decide to do otherwise. So this maybe is one of the first um, forms of representing trauma in video games that I can talk about. This is uh, like a denied choice. So you have no choice here. You have no choice. You have to do it. I mean, this is something that I can see immediately in The Last of Us. I can see it in titles such as Spec Ops The Line, where you uh, navigate a small Marine Corps through uh, Dubai and you launch an attack on what you believe are hostile targets. And it turns out um, that it was civilians that you actually murdered en masse. And then what the game does, it kind of guides you through the casualty so that you are confronted with the pain that you've caused, which is deeply traumatizing for the protagonist, but also, isn't it to some degree also traumatizing for the player? Um, I think you have to be careful to say that, because if you say a person is traumatized, this is like a clinical state, um, or it should be. So um, you have in medical or psychological context, uh, context, you must be able to say a person is traumatized or The person is not traumatized. If you say, I, as a player, am traumatized by this experience, of course, this is a possibility. But usually, you are affected by it. But this is not being traumatized. So people are like, usually, just like I did, casually using the term traumatized. But you would say, we need to be cautious not to dilute the definition of what it is. We need to be aware that it's actually a clinical state that has quite severe impacts on people's lives. Exactly. Because... Of course, you can say I was at a football game and my uh, my uh, football uh, team lost. Yeah, this yeah. was traumatizing for me. But of course, it is not from a clinical perspective. What would you say? How would you summarize the clinical perspective on trauma for lay people? Of course, this is um, super complex. So you can look up at uh, diverse manuals, like the the most famous ones are the ICD and the DSM. Those are manuals. Um, written by experts from clinical or psychological background. Um, and they differ. So there is not the exact topic or the exact definition of trauma. Um, you can try to find out if a person is traumatized um, when looking exactly at the background of the person and how um, 
the trauma affects the person. So typical trauma hints are maybe flashbacks of the event or being unable to recognize the event as part of the own um, biography. And a flashback is also something that happens so much in video games that I think it's probably important to point out that a proper flashback is not like, oh, I remembered something. But a proper flashback is basically being almost like involuntarily thrown back into a situation that impacts you to such a severe degree that you can feel really crippled by it. Yeah, you could say that your memory is not in the past anymore. It affects your present thinking and viewing of the world. So this is like uh, your memory is lost in time or wrong in time. And so this is typical a flashback situation. Something that video games deal with quite a lot as well. The typical scenario of the protagonist who has experienced something terrible and then they lost their memory and now they need to gradually regain it and confront their past. And also, um, if you look at trauma representation, another typical trope is your hero has a traumatizing event um, and this starts like a bloody vendetta. You can look at Max Payne, for example. Yeah, yeah. Your family is shot down by uh, some drug addicts and you go on a vendetta to revenge them. And this is the only reason why trauma is in this game. It's a shooter game. Yeah. So um, there's there's nothing deep about it. Maybe some some representations are a little more progressive. Like there's a level where, where you walk as Max Payne um, over this umbilical cord-like structure and you have to prevent yourself from falling into a dark abyss and you hear your dead baby screaming in the background. And this is, of course, like a flashback also or a nightmarish situation you wander through. So in the case of Max Payne and in the case of this bloody vendetta trope, to me it really resembles this idea of the backstory wound. Because from, you know, character writing, from screenwriting, we know that every interesting character must have some kind of backstory wound. Do you see almost like an organic connection between what we think of fictional characters? They must have conflicts, they must have a kind of backstory wound that they have to overcome, and the subject of trauma? I think trauma is uh, because uh, everyone things to know about trauma or about traumatic conditions or situations, you can say it's easy and cheap <laughs> to trick you into feeling with the character. Yeah? If a family is dying at the beginning of a story, of course, this is like uh, a situation everyone can relate to. So from there, you can go on and you can say, okay, my character is established now, I can, can move on and t tell my story. So I think this is the connection. It's just easy to do. Yeah, everyone has kind of loved ones. Everyone has people that they care about. So if I design a story and a character, then making them lose that will build kind of a bridge of identification between the player and the character. However, this is, you would say, the most simple level to engage with trauma because it doesn't really engage with the subject much. It just uses it as a bridge to establish the connection. True. And also... There's a um, keyword I like to discuss also, it's empathy. And this is, of course, you, you think empathy is a good thing, yeah? You have empathy for someone or for a character in a game or a movie, but also this can lead to kind of an empathy appropri appropriation, some people say, so that you are thinking, okay, I know how this person is feeling. And this, this can be 
also dangerous because if you're playing again a game like uh, Dysphoria, it's an indie game where you play um, or from the viewpoint of a trans person. And um, also the maker of the game says, okay, I don't like to, to, say, uh, to have people say that they know how it feels to be a trans person after playing my game for 15 minutes. Of course, they can feel empathy for my situation, but I don't know how I feel really in real life. So this is also a thing you have to keep in mind, I think. We only ever get a glimpse, but as you stressed at the beginning already, often the biographies of trans people are riddled with traumatic experiences. And those kind of traumatic experiences, they don't translate as such directly within a short space of time while playing the game. But empathy is then we kind of, we identify with the person, it might be the real creator of the game, or it might be a fictional character. However, that does not let us experience trauma as such. You have glimpses of the situations of people that are in, but of course you don't get traumatized, because if you are traumatized by a game, you can't play it anymore, or you have to get uh, medical uh, care. Yeah, So this can't be the goal for a game company, to traumatize their players. Yeah, that, that would be quite terrible. I think <laughs> yeah, that game would be quickly taken off the market if that would be the case. <laughs> <I think so. laughs> you distinguish in your PhD between simple and complex trauma representations. And so far, we've mostly discussed simple representations, right? Because we engaged with things like Max Payne, where it's, it, well, it is explored to, to some degree, but it's kind of also the, trope, the traumatized hero. We discussed the hero that has to go on a bloody vendetta. What are some complex trauma representations and how do you distinguish between simple on the one hand and complex on the other? Yeah, maybe we could, uh, or, or I can give an example first. Um, sure. For a game which I think has a complex trauma representation and that would be Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice. Hellblade? Mm. Um, we play as Senua, she hears voices, which is not downplayed, but at the same time also gives her a certain view of the world. Uh, that helps her to navigate through difficult situations. And um, so if I talk about complex trauma representation, there are a lot of my um, yeah, criteria uh, represented in Hellblade. Um, I try to, to define them more, more sharply and also related on your work you were doing with Arno Gergen for that. <laughs> yes, um, thank you. <laughs> And uh, yeah, some criterias or my criterias are looking at different layers, how trauma is represented. And you could say this is like a cluster. So not all of those criteria have to, to match for a game to be a complex trauma representation. But the more, the better, you could say. And what are these criteria? So one of those would be this, that the game designers are concerned to perceive and reflect trauma and, it, and, and its consequences in all its complexity. So not to stigmatize those affected by trauma and to consider their perspective as essential for the thematic discussion. This would be the first one. Or um, also you could say um, that uh, trauma re representation is commentary in so far that it subverts conventionalized game expectations and not only reproduces them, but uses them reflectively for a critical uh, trauma representation. So the idea is basically that um, as a developer, I should, if I want to represent trauma in a complex manner, I should be consciously engaged 
and concerned about how do I represent trauma. Yes, and you should also be informed about it. So not also uh, not uh, you have only you want to to um, show a traumatic perspective, but you also informed yourself about that perspective. I could do that by, of course, doing research. I could also do that by talking to experts or even personally affected people, right? Yeah, and um, Ninja Company, the company behind Hellblade Sentinel Sacrifice, did all this and also made it transparent. Um, they showed it in the making of. Yeah. So you could see they tried really hard to get this perspective right. To get it right by saying we develop an aspect of the game, let's say we work on how do we implement voice hearing and then we show it to experts, we show it to personally affected people who actually hear voices, we take their feedback on board and we improve upon it and then we communicate this publicly in our developer diary and say, hey everyone, this is what we did because we want to engage consciously with this subject. So this would be really important in my opinion to, to have a complex trauma representation um, And also, if you, what we talked about, that your trauma is not just on a narrative level a backstab wound, but also it is um, deeply interwined with the story or the character and um, looked up from different angles and not just as a cheap effect to get the story started. So in Hellblade, if we want to stick with the example, we of course got all kinds of interesting aesthetic effects that are part of the game but we also have a character whose trauma is very intricately explored because Senua she kind of she witnessed her mother being burned at the stake right when she was very young and uh, she was kind of oppressed and you could say even abused by her father for a long time in her life these are all very traumatic experiences that are explored especially their consequences for the present day because those experiences come back to haunt her and she needs to confront them. Yeah, and what is very beautiful about this kind of representation that there is this, um, say, fantastic level of the narrative where Senua sees things and there's never the question, is this the real world or is there something like a real world and Senua is seeing it differently. But instead, till the end, it's okay to say... This is Senua's view of the world, and it's okay that she sees things like this, and you have, don't have to question this. And um, in other games, like Spec Ops, for example, there's this point in the story where you as a player are surprised by the turn of the story. But this, um, at the same time, uh, neglects how the person, the character, was seeing the world. And this is not the case for Senua. The classic form, and that would probably be something that falls more in the direction of a simple trauma representation, would be to say we portray uh, an imagined world or a hallucination and a real world, and then it's kind of being unveiled that, hey, this was an hallucination or something, and then you are surprised by it. Whereas the complex engagement would be more to say, hey, why do we need to resolve this even? Can't we leave players thinking, was this real or not? We don't know. And does it even matter? Right. And uh, maybe it reminds you too of the mindfuck movie genre, maybe from yes. the nineties. Um, there's always this, uh, it's always the case there, like Fight Club, yeah. So at the end, there's this turning point. The um, yeah reveals kind of, of the real story, kind of. Um, and in Senua, it can exist, uh, coexist. Yeah. So it's not like at the end of of Hellblade, 
without spoiling the ending, what surely is not the case is that the game is saying like, oh, and this was all an hallucination or something, but rather it leaves you in this ambiguous state. This is her way to see the world, and as such, we accept it. That's the kind of perspective at the world that we engage with, regardless of what is real and what is not. Yeah, and this is also true for a modern um, take on trauma uh, psychology or trauma um, healing processes. That you say, okay, you, you don't have to tell a person, this is like your traumatic view of the world and we have to get rid of it. This is how you see the world at the moment and what does that make with you or the world and how can we make the world better for you but without telling the person you are not right in seeing the world. Ah, okay, so not this kind of point of like, we know what is objectively real and we're going to tell you so we're going to basically adapt your perception to how we perceive the world but instead we are more acknowledging of how the world is subjectively perceived. Yeah, you don't, don't say there's like an objective reality. You say there are only subject, uh, subjective realities. And how is your subject reality um, formed by trauma, maybe? And what can we do about it? Now, one game that I found really interesting that you looked into in your PhD is Disco Elysium. You also wrote a dedicated article about that. I really love Disco Elysium. When you mentioned trauma in the context of it, I could not immediately ascertain what exactly you were gearing at. Can you explain a little bit what the significance of trauma is in Disco Elysium? Yes, uh, let me say first, uh, Disco Elysium is also one of my favorite games. <laughs> um, and also one of my favorite games depicting trauma. Um, it's a classic computer role-playing game um, for the people that don't know it. Uh, in the tradition of Baldur's Gate. Um, but I think more similarities are to see or can be seen with Planescape Torment. Uh, in this CRPG 2, we wake up as a male character and has lost our memory. Amnesia is a common drop, we discussed that. But of course, in this Elysium in particular, it is modernized and interwoven with trauma. And why is that? Um, in Disco Elysium, there is, in my opinion, a psychological form of trauma so you can see that trauma is not only affecting you as a person as, a, as an individual but also is connected to the society you are in and to the world surrounding you and this is very interesting for me to see in disco Elysium. so it's like a world falling apart um, martinez is the area that you're in in disco Elysium, and everything is kind of falling apart there are political factions opposing each other there's a strange assassination happening and you don't know why would you say that this kind of disarray like a social disarray is an exploration of a personalized trauma as well I could say that in martinez there's a district called revachol you're playing in and this district especially is trenched in trauma you could say um, there are bullet holes from a failed revolution the people are still as a society traumatized and in precar precarious situations And uh, while exploring this world, you also explore your trauma with it. And your personal trauma is like you traumatized maybe because you are a cop and live through hard situations. And also you have um, a marriage that failed. And so this is the personal aspect of your trauma. But you can see that this very typical or maybe trope-like subjective trauma is more represented in the game world itself and shows 
over the or in exploration of this game world. This is super interesting because it takes a step away from this clinical notion of trauma, which obviously applies to the individual. Because what mental health care needs to do is it needs to take care of an individual. Whereas in video games, they can abstract from that and they can say, well, we can consider trauma as an individual phenomenon, but we can also think of an entire game world that basically exists in trauma or as a manifestation of trauma. Yes, but you could also say that uh, trauma science um, also relates on that because like um, after the Holocaust, there was an engagement with trauma on a deep level. And um, in science, you realize that um, trauma can also affect a whole generation and also is passed on through generations. And so this is now coming to video games, but it's before it was in video games, there was this medical research um, and um, yeah, medical research and scientific research about trauma that affects uh, um, um, many people or not only an individual. Yeah, a society as such can be in a state of trauma. And um, this is true for Disco Elysium and um, you can also see that um, there are some nice metaphors for trauma like in a church you are exploring there is this hole in the church and this it's the nothing the game tells you and the uh, nothing leaks through um to the game world and you could say maybe this is like the center of trauma it's leaking through also the character or um is still present in the heart of um, the society and you have to deal with this um, leak this this hole and you can also um, dance with it <laughs> you can can choose to have a dance in front of it because there's like a band an uh, electronic band they're playing elec uh, electronic music and can choose to have a dance with this hole and so kind of um, include your trauma in your presence what is that is that a celebration of trauma and is that a an empowering notion in disco elysium how would you describe that you dance in a church with a whole of nothingness. Yeah, exactly. Um, for me, it's um, an empowering note because um, you could say, I also in my paper, I try to link trauma to um, existentialist th theories, especially Albert Camus and his um, new interpretation of the Sisyphus mythos, um, mythology. And um, you could say that this is like a dance with the absurd of existence. You... Um, yeah, identify the existence as um, an absurd one, but this can uh, be like um, a way to deal with your trauma. Says Dr. Thomas Spies, media studies scholar at the University of Cologne. Thank you so very much for the conversation. If you want to know more about this subject, then you've got two options really. Either you can dive into Thomas's PhD, which is publicly available. It's an open access publication and we will link it in the show notes. If you want to read something a bit shorter and especially if you want to read something in English, then he has also recently published an article titled Making Sense in a Senseless World, Disco Elysium's Absurd Hero. So if you're curious about that, we will also link that article in the show notes. Now, before we sign off for today, I want to briefly draw your attention to one more thing that Thomas is currently doing. Thomas Spies, Seda Kurt, and Holger Pötsch, they are publishing an anthology together. And this is mostly important for our German listeners. 
because this publication is called Sammelband Kritische Videospielstudien, basically meaning an anthology of critical game studies. It's cool, it's an interesting project. The main title is Let's Play Critical. How charming. Now, in order to pay the authors, they have set up a GoFundMe campaign where you can support them. You have to understand that it's not self-evident. Usually in academia, when you publish an article in an anthology, you basically get paid in exposure, right? Or you are assumed to get paid through some institution anyway, and that's why you should basically write and publish for free, like do this extra work for free. That is why I find it particularly worth supporting this project, the idea of actually paying the authors that are contributing to this anthology. If you're curious about that and you want to help make it happen, then you can check out our show notes where we will link the GoFundMe campaign. Now, that's it for this episode. Thank you so very much for listening, as always. As you know, you can always submit your thoughts and questions on studyingpixels.com slash contact, and we will talk again next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.